Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Jonathan Kazarian, the founder and CEO of Excel Events, which is a leading virtual and hybrid event management platform. So this week, we're talking virtual trade shows and lots of event strategy. Thanks for downloading. Uh, Virtual events are still here. Uh, In real life events are back. (laughs) Uh, One change kind of seems to be the popularity of hybrid events where we can mix the two things together. So in this episode, I'm talking to Jonathan Kazarian, the founder and CEO of Excel Events, which is a leading virtual and hybrid event management platform. So stand by for a lot of strategy, lots of tips, lots of insight and ideas for your next virtual event. You can find Jonathan on the Excel Events website, also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Check out the links in the show notes. Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is ad-free? I'd love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media. Subscribe via your favourite podcast app. Uh, You can find more episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Now, the first thing I asked Jonathan was if the virtual events world was still growing at the moment or had sort of like the end of the pandemic sort of uh, kind of got folks back into real spaces. Yeah, I think those two questions are are independent of one another. I mean, yes, absolutely. Folks are returning to in-person and uh, you know, we're fortunate and glad that they are. Uh, as as a company that started with in-person events, that was our bread and butter for so long. As for the question regarding whether or not virtual events are still growing as a segment of the market, if you were to look at, say, a five-year or a 10-year line, line yeah. plot of the growth, then absolutely. If you want to compare the number of virtual events that are taking place in Q2, Q3 of 2022 compared to that of, you know, Q1 2021, then then the answer is going to be no, because at that point in time, it was necessary to facilitate just about every event virtually. So you're not really comparing apples to apples if you're looking at the past 18 or 24 months. But again, if you look at compared to 2019, then absolutely. And I've seen a couple of reports uh, that that put virtual event adoption anywhere from 10 to 30 times what it was in 2019. I can tell you from the perspective of, of our business, our revenue is 30 times higher than it was in sure. 2019. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the last two years are going to drive statisticians mad, aren't they? Because <laughs> <laughs> everything just changed completely. And you, you've got to kind of really, I suppose, ignore the, the, the last two years in a, in a way, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, they're a blip. And if you yeah. look at any shard over a long period of time, those blips do occur. Uh, but what they were was incredible for innovation. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so let, let's go back in time a little bit, because I remember going to a virtual event back in, a, well, a long time ago. I, I must say it must have been pre smartphone so 2007 8 something like that and i had a little stick man on the screen and i had to walk him in through some doors and then sit him down in an auditorium where some curtains appeared and then uh, some sort of real buffering awful god awful video thing started um do you think virtual events back then what we were trying to do was kind of like almost duplicate an in real life event into uh, online um things have moved on a lot describe of a kind of like the average virtual virtual event and what it's like now. Yeah. So 
there's a couple of different worlds of virtual events today. And some of them are taking that more metaverse approach to almost making it a little bit more video game-esque. Hmm. Uh, but the reality is that still often feels like The Sims in 2001. It's yes. not really <laughs> replicating the reality of the in-person experience. Our belief and our take is at this particular point in time with what you know technology provides today, the experience that makes the most sense for attendees is to recognize the fact that they are accessing this through a two-dimensional experience, through their, their computer monitors, their phone, et cetera. And to accept that and optimize the experience for the device they're accessing it on, not to try to replicate an in-person environment when sure. you're in some ways, yes, maybe creating a little bit of an experience, but you're also taking away from the reason the person's there. And it's yeah. not to learn how to play a video game. It's to be able to interact with other attendees, to access content and a community. And if you focus your experience on that, you're going to get a better result. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember years ago going to some affiliate marketing, uh, a trade event expo, something like that, and, and to move to another room to talk to another supplier, you had to stand up from your little seat and walk over and go through some doors. That's that's a bad user experience, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, in the '70s, we used to dream about being able to teleport. <laughs> in the virtual world, we can. Why would yeah. we want to take a step back? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you were a company, if you were a marketer and you were thinking to yourself, right, I've got a trade show, I've got an expo, I've got something like that to to, to, to put on. Um, we know it's going to be in real life. Um, how do we how do we kind of like make the decision and decide whether there needs to be a virtual or hybrid angle on that? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things that go into that decision. I mean, first and foremost is, is who's the target audience mm. and can they geographically access your event? If you're asking people to travel halfway across the world to attend a one or a two day event, that's a big ask, especially yeah. given what's going on with corporate budgets today and the cost of travel. So that in itself can necessitate hosting a hybrid component to your in-person event. But beyond that, it's really thinking about the type of content and type of experience that you're delivering. What we're seeing take place right now with a lot of the in-person events is they're much more focused on the socializing aspects, the networking aspects, less so on the content delivery. And that results from a realization that at the end of the day, sticking 300 people in a ballroom staring at a projector screen isn't yeah. necessarily the best way to disseminate content. Sure. Virtual is incredibly powerful for that motion. So it's designing that event experience where that event doesn't have to be everything to everybody. That event can be focused on doing what it's best at in person and using a virtual component to do what virtual is best at. Do you think we can almost treat them as two separate events in a way? I can say that a lot of organizations are. Yeah. A lot of organizations are, are being a lot more tactical around designing their programming in a sense that, you know, when you used to host an in-person event, there was this this sort of break even point in terms of number of attendees where the yeah. marginal cost of each additional attendee would 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 bring down well would come down and you don't have those challenges with a virtual event i mean not to the same extent at sure. least and it yeah. allows you to develop programming that's much more targeted and specific to a particular set of your audience and uh and we're seeing a lot of companies really run with that and adopt that and then when it comes to designing their in-program events, well, they're taking out the aspects that could have been done virtually. And what this results in is organizations just taking a much more holistic approach to thinking about where events fall in their stack and designing that programming with those meshing of different types of experiences. 
In the B2B space, events make up 25% of marketing budgets. So right. it is a huge line item sure. expense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you got any examples of how companies are putting these things together? Because I'm thinking in my head, well, we could record, we could pre-record keynote speakers. We could live stream keynote speakers from the stage. We could record, I don't know, videos with all our little exhibitors and things like that. But that sounds a little bit boring. How how are companies kind of mixing in the in-real real life trade event and the the virtual hybrid side of it? Yeah. So one thing that was sort of talked about quite a bit during uh, during the, the height of the pandemic was this idea of a meshing of experience between those folks that are in person and the folks that are participating from home. Hmm. What we're seeing today is a less less of a focus on doing that, but still very much thinking about where technology's role is for that in-person experience. And as compared to 2019 levels, we're seeing, and this is both what we're seeing, but also across the industry, approximately a 3x adoption in the use of technology on site, things like mobile apps and lead capture for exhibitors. The reason for this is in part just that attendees, exhibitors, all the stakeholders that are involved in that event, they're, they become so familiar with how technology can benefit their event experience that it's becoming the expectation that that's present. And again, the technology has gotten a lot better and able to drive more value for those organizations. Do you think we need to staff these events separately, like we staff a, a, a virtual virtual side of it and we staff the, the in-real-life side of it? Because I'm thinking about engagement. Uh, folks are going to wander off, if, even if they're you know, miles away, some, some another country, and they're watching the event and they're, they're in the event. They need to be engaged with, don't they? Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's one of the challenges that I've come up with hybrid events, that and just the general expense of having uh, AV crews there to, to be able to do the mm. live production and the live broadcasting. Um, however, if you plan in advance, the staffing requirements don't need to be that significant. There's a lot that you can do as an organization to prepare yourself for that virtual or hybrid component and set yourself up for success. For example, you can pre-build all of your email sequences and campaigns to go out, preload any push notifications, polls, surveys, any of that engagement that you need to be triggering, you can prepare in advance. And then during your event, either automate it or go ahead and, and run those triggers. So it doesn't necessarily require a huge staff to actually operate that side. I mean, for a 500 person event, one or two people focused on the virtual component is often sufficient. Right, as few as that. So so you, you can get good engagement levels up because I'm, th- I'm thinking folks need to be tapped <laughs> quite a lot and say, Come, stay here, stay with us. How are, how are people actually doing that? What, what, what sort of tactics are they using? Yeah, so this is also something where we've seen a variety of different approaches. And obviously, to some extent, it's going to depend on the resources that the organization has and what the rest of their tech stack looks like. But some of the more advanced uh, approaches to thinking about this, really, they, they take a step back and they design their engagement components in advance of the event. So for example, if you have information around uh, certain attendees being particularly fond of a session that's coming up later in the day or a particular yeah. speaker, and you know this because people are bookmarking that session or you're seeing a lot of views of that session uh, through the, you know, the online agenda, what you can do is pre-build campaigns to advertise that content that might be happening later in the day and pre-configure email templates to go out to anybody who might have dropped off throughout the day so that you can bring them back into that experience. So if you pre-program 
items like that or, or engagements like that, you can really find a lot of ways to uh, keep that audience coming back. And you know, the other aspect is, is going beyond just sort of the, the email communication, the push notifications to think about how can we build gamification into our experience yeah. so that people are incentivized to engage with different content areas, to network, to stop by exhibitor booths, either virtually or in person. And then they're partnering with their sponsors to use gamification as a mechanism to create greater value for the sponsors because they're able to sponsor these different challenges. And at the same time, they'll provide something like an iPad or AirPods as a reward to somebody who participates in a challenge. Yeah, that's a good idea, that is. Yeah, really good. Do, do you see folks using professional hosts as well? I've heard of a couple who have kind of like almost like a compare, an MC for the virtual side of things. A absolutely. It's not a necessity. No. But it's certainly an option in just the same way that you would do so with an in-person event. The decision is essentially the same. Regardless if you're using a professional host or not, it certainly makes sense to have somebody who's going to play that MC role throughout the event. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I presumably notice where the energy is, is going. If the energy seems to be dropping, like, like you would do in real life, you try and build it back up again a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, just like real life, there's always the possibility that a speaker isn't going to show up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Things come up, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I would argue that it's more likely in person because of the issues that can arise with travel. So making yeah. sure that that MC is prepared either with a filler session or some other way to fill that time because you just don't want to have that that empty block. That's when people are going to leave. That's when they're going to go out. You know, if it's in person, go out, grab a coffee. Maybe they're late to the next session. If it's virtually, they might start replying to emails and, you know, who knows long, how long that's going to take and, and when they're going to come back. Yeah, you just reminded me of of um of a talk I did some years ago. I went to the wrong exhibition centre in London. I went to Kensington <laughs> Kensington Olympia, and the the actual event was at Earl's Court, which was like five miles away. So things happen, don't they? <laughs> they certainly do. Yeah. So, so if we're running a trade show, we've got lots of exhibitors. Okay, these exhibitors are all different companies. They're all wanting to generate their own leads. How do we do this virtually, and so everybody gets? their own leads and they don't get everybody's. Yeah. So the platform that you're using to facilitate that should provide functionality that allows each exhibitor to set up their booth and provides mechanisms for them to interact with the attendees throughout the event. Um, that's things like being able to be on camera in, in really that comes down to the exhibitors staffing that virtual booth like they would with an in-person booth, but being there and being present to answer questions making materials available, but then also the platform needs to be able to provide the insight to those exhibitors so they know what people are looking at in real time and they can have topical and informed conversations with those folks. You know, I'll give you one example of uh, a large organization in the United States, one of the largest auto part um, distribution franchises, and they hosted a three-day event where $7 million worth of tools were sold over those three days. Right. And the reason was that all of those tool manufacturers were able to see what people were looking at in real time. So for example, you know, if somebody picked up a saw, you wouldn't start talking to them about a drill. Sure. And the same thing would happen in real life, but by providing them the insight that just makes them able to have that more informed conversation, you're going to have a better result. One thing I was I was thinking about is is 
is the technological side of it. Your your company's got Excel events, and 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 you run run virtual events, hybrid events, um, and and in in real life ones as well. From 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 what I've read, um, how how many people can these events actually cope with? Yes, I mean from the perspective of the technology, certainly some of the platforms aren't designed to handle a uh, particularly high volume. Yeah. Um, but you know we we have events that have you know north of fifty thousand folks in there. Right. And uh, and that's no problem. It's really about designing the content to be able to facilitate that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And 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 how how has that progressed over the years? Well, well, uh, is the technology progressing even more now? So we might be able to do more interesting things. Do you think? Yeah, the technology is is advancing and changing every day. Um, in terms of being able to handle the capacity, you know, again, that's not an area where there's a ton of concern, at least sure. not for us. It's more about just finding ways to create more personalized and unique experiences for the folks that are participating and ensuring that that experience is making the most use of their time and they're accessing the content and the other individuals who are most relevant to them. Yeah, Dara mentioned the metaverse. I mean, is this going to feature, do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's coming, but I don't think we're there yet. It's it's going to be a huge... It, it, there's going to be a lot... I was talking to somebody in HR not long ago and they were saying that, like, theoretically, in a metaverse... Right, you could turn up to a meeting as a dragon. Right, but at what uh, point does that not become productive? Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, there's a whole load of rules and regulations got to be written for this metaverse thing. So, where do you see virtual events appearing? Do you do you do you see us in the the metaverse with our goggles on? Or I I do, but I think until that you know before that really is viable and really happens, there needs to be better hardware to support it. Sure. For example, you know, if Apple comes along with uh, maybe some lighter weight goggles or something like that, they come as if they become as mainstream as something like AirPods do. I think we're going to be a lot closer to it. But I mean, today I, I bought I bought an Oculus headset to attend a virtual event. It's been sitting in the box for two years. Yeah. How, how do you find it? I mean, do you get? I mean, because I've I've drawn. I get a, get a bit you know seasick, sort of travel sickness and that. Yeah, I, I actually did as well, and I started uh, I started reading about that. And apparently it's something where like, you know, if you do it enough, it starts to go away. <laughs> yeah. I'm not exactly <laughs> excited about pushing through that. No, no, nor me, nor me at all. Let's get on to the marketing thing because I could talk about metaverse things because it's, you know, it talk about the future forever. How do we go about setting our goals and tracking the return on the investment for these kind of virtual and hybrid events that, that we're running? Uh, is there any way that your software helps us with with that yeah and it shouldn't you know the, the, it shouldn't really matter if it's an in-person event or a hybrid event or a virtual event your goals are the are the same when you're hosting an event um in terms of in terms of actually measuring that the first question is why are you actually hosting that event sure if you start with that question then you can determine okay what are the kpis that we're using to measure success and then you can get buy-in from the rest of your organization if you get leadership buy-in on what those KPIs are, then you plan around that and you ensure that you have the proper mechanisms in place to measure that. Yes, our technology measures thousands of different data points and touch points throughout the attendee, exhibitor, speaker journey for every stakeholder involved and make that information accessible so that you can use that to measure success of the event. But again, it determines why are you hosting that event? Is it a user conference? Are we looking to see a certain number of 
leads get generated or mm. interest for a product or social media posts or attendance. There's a lot of metrics that often get grouped into sort of a vanity metric category where yes, they're interesting, but they don't necessarily impact business results. And I think some of that stemmed from the world of in-person where if you look at a metric like cost per attendee to host mm. this event, the number of attendees you get generally lowers your cost per attendee. So attendance became this vanity metric where it wasn't actually tied to business results. It was really just tied to a cost metric. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I see is, is, is is there a way to kind of like tie up the data from the virtual side of it with future business? So I'm thinking if, if you go along to a trade show, you might write business at the, at the actual show. You might you might be selling yeah. stuff there and writing orders out. Um, but then there's always that thing that people come back like a month later, place an order. Is there some mm -hmm. way to tie that up as well, do you think? Yeah. So now you're getting into the fun topic of attribution. Yeah. And this is where there's quite a large gap today in terms sure. of understanding event attribution, both from the perspective of a exhibitor that is buying space at, a, at an event and from the organization that is that is hosting that event. Uh, but that question around attribution ultimately comes down to the attribution model that your organization is using for tracking deal create or closed one business. And that's why we're seeing marketing ops and rev ops teams getting involved in uh, about 60% of, of the enterprise level deals that, that we're selling this year. It's just a much more relevant question today, as it should be. True. And it's also led to a much greater focus on the depth of integration with CRMs and marketing operation systems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree, because that still isn't there. I mean, I talk to folks every, well, almost every week about trying to integrate something into a CRM. And even though mm -hmm. we have all these wonderful integration apps and all these wonderful stories, it, it, it still lacks an awful lot, doesn't it? It's certainly getting better. I mean, mm. it's, you know, again, an area that we spend a lot of time on. But one of the challenges is just that, you know, CRMs, they're they're a relational database. They're designed to be flexible. Yeah. The entire introduction of custom objects raises this whole question of what's the best way to situate that data as it enters into a CRM. And the reality is that CRMs are not situated to collect and capture all the information that results from events. And what that means is that events become the system of record or event platforms become the system of record for the breadth of data that gets captured on these attendees. And we have to be selective around what information is most important to push into the CRM yeah. so that we don't create noise in the CRM or marketing automation system. And we can actually use that information to measure attribution, but more importantly, to drive business results through personalization, communication, and understanding you know, what it is that is most important uh, when evaluating an attendee. And you know, I'll give you an example. Just imagine you're an organization like like HubSpot. We'll use them since we're talking. Yeah, CRMs. sure. Yeah. If you're a multi-product company like HubSpot and you've got a customer who's on the CRM product, but you host a product launch event and you notice that an attendee has been checking out two or three sessions related to your service hub product, well, that should tell you something. That should trigger for your customer success team to reach out and figure out why that person had so much interest. Chances are they're looking and comparing it to the existing customer service tool that they're using. You know, maybe it's Zendesk or something else. Mm. 
and they're trying to evaluate, does it make sense for me to consolidate and switch over? And that level of information can be incredibly powerful for driving business outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think the, the, the lack of third-party cookies in the future is going to make a difference to this this much? I think it already has. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you look at what's what's happened with Apple's war on Facebook and now yeah. Google tapping in and the reduction of third-party cookie tracking, it just makes zero-party and first-party data all the more valuable. It makes it just such a necessary staple in a marketer's tool chest. And as you think about mechanisms for capturing that zero-party and first-party data, you've got things like white paper downloads and you know, ebook downloads. Mm-hmm. But all you really get from that, even a webinar, is that this person attended or this person downloaded the PDF. It doesn't tell you what they were interested in, what they care about. Whereas an event, whether it be in person or virtual, it just gives you so much more insight into the information that that person was particularly interested in. Yeah. Events are this incredible mechanism where somebody's willing to give up their time, their money, their registration data, even their their cookie tracking, all in exchange for access to your content and your community. Yeah. And if you yeah. take that and you provide great content and a great community, then you're going to get the information that you need to create a personalized experience, optimize your communication, and again, drive revenue. Yeah. And, and I suppose you're, you're keeping in control of your own data, which I think is, is going to be what the fu- future is, isn't it? We're going to, it's, it's going to be first party data. So you'll, you'll probably loading your data into a CRM and looking after it yourself and, and analyzing it yourself instead of just relying on, say, I don't know, a Facebook or Google audience or something. Oh, absolutely. And if you're just relying on Facebook or, or, or Google audiences, that's undifferentiated, right? Yeah, your yeah. competitors have access to the same set of data that yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, when you're building a, a data set of first party data, that's something they don't have access to. I mean, even in the world of, of sort of like second party data where you may be uh, co-hosting an event with another organization, they're ultimately the, you know, the, the first party owner of that data, but they're passing that information off to you. Your competitors aren't all getting access to that same data set. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with them uh, over the next um, next Absolutely. few years. Absolutely. Um, John, I could talk about this for ages. Um, thanks for your time. Where can we find you? Uh, website, social media, all those bits. Yeah, check us out. It's excelevents.com, A-C-C-E-L, events. We, uh, we staff our chat in real time, 24-7. Our median response time is under 30 seconds. So send us a message there. If you don't hear back from anybody in 30 seconds, then find me on LinkedIn, John Kazarian on LinkedIn, and let me know yeah. about it. Well, one thing I was I meant to ask, and I forgot a little bit earlier, was was I'm not going to ask prices, but when, the, the pricing model, do, do we buy an event? Does it work per event? Or, or are, are you on a subscription model? Yeah, so we list our pricing on our website. It's all publicly available. Uh, but our pricing, we offer both one-off event pricing and subscription pricing. So whatever right. it is that uh, makes the most sense for you, we can find something that accommodates and, and doesn't create a huge barrier yeah, for you. Yeah, because I've spoken to a few folks who just want to do a one-off event and they've been, you know, they don't want to sign up to 12 months of it sort of thing. So it's good to see you can just buy a one-off. That's good. Yeah, that's No, cool. I, I get it. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, I come from a background of hosting events and buying software for events, not trying to sign up for a subscription to host yeah, a yeah. couple of events per year. Yeah. So that's yeah. what we built our pricing around and... Uh, you know, it's our intention to create a great experience with you. And if we do that, then you'll keep coming back. Yeah, fantastic. Listen, John, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks again to John for his time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.